How Great Thou Art. That is a, uh, a classic hymn, and it's uh, appropriate for the study that we're doing. If you're worshiping with us for the first time, <clears throat> we're doing a study called How to Deal with How You Feel, and the whole idea is exploring, uh, do a, doing a biblical exploration of uh, de depression and emotional conflict. We all go through times in our lives where things get very disappointing and discouraging and depressing at times. But the, the, the Word of God has a lot to say about those times. It has a lot to say about our emotions and how God wants to protect us. And in fact, if you're going through depression right now, exactly how God wants to bring healing to your life. So this morning in our study, uh, we're going we're, we're to be talking about how to discover the real you. That might, might sound a little strange, but in a little bit it should make sense. I'm going to invite you, if you would, to turn your Bibles to Galatians. It's in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a handout that looks like this. I'm going to ask you to take that out, if you would, and you can follow along as it's read to you. But I also have several things I want you to write down. And our reader this morning is the uh, delightful and attractive Peggy Drake. She's going to come up and read the Word of God for us. And as she makes her way to the pulpit, if you're willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of the Word of God? Good morning. Good morning. Was I right or wrong? Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's get to the reading. <laughs> for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Amen. Well, God, we thank you for those words. They, they're, they're powerful words. And they're words that we need to go deep down in our soul, to give us relief from the stress and strain, the emotional stress and strain that so many of us feel in life, the depression that so many of us go through in life. And we want you to bring healing through your powerful word and through the presence of your Holy Spirit. So may your blessing be upon your word this morning and upon our hearts. And we pray for this and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Thank you. May be seated. Thank you, Peggy. So what we're going to talk about is how on earth do we discover the real you, as strange as that might sound. Some of you have heard this story, and if you have, you'll just bear with me. But it's a story about a guy in 2008 with a great recession. He lived out in uh, San Francisco. He lost his job, had a wife and family, and he was just pounding the bricks every day trying to get a job, but because of the, because of the Great Recession, there, there were just no jobs. So one day he's walking down the street, and he happens to go by the uh, great San Francisco Zoo, and he thought, well, i got nothing to lose. I'll go in there and see maybe something. But I, I'm, I'm willing to do anything. I'm willing to clean cages if I have to. I just need work. So he got a hold of somebody in the, uh, in the zoo and sat down and talked to the guy, explained the situation. The man listened to him very politely, and finally he said, I'm just, I'm sorry, but we just plain and simply don't have anything for you. Well, needless to say, the guy was heartbroken, discouraged, depressed. He gets up, starts to head for the door, when all of a sudden the guy said, wait a second. He said, can you be a gorilla? And the guy said, a gorilla? What are you talking about? He said, well, we've got a beloved gorilla, and he just died. We don't want the general public to, to know that he died because everybody will be heartbroken. He's an attraction to the zoo, 
and we need somebody to replace that gorilla. Would you be willing to do it? And he said, you know what? I was born to be a gorilla. <laughs> well, they sued him up. They put him in the, in the uh, gorilla den or whatever you call it. And uh, people are milling around. They're walking by. And so he begins to swing out just a little bit. Gets, a, gets kind of brave, swings out a little bit on his, on his uh, whatever. Well, immediately some kids begin to clap. And more kids hear that. They gather around. Well, he thinks this is great. So he swings out a little bit further. He's starting to swing a little more. Well, all of a sudden, more and more people begin to gather. The more he swings out, all of a sudden, the lions in the lion den, they start leaping up and, and roaring, and that's attracting all kinds of people now. People are gathering around, they're, they're plotting. He's swinging even further, till finally he forgets what he's doing, and he falls off the swing, and boom, right down in the middle of those lions. Well, immediately, the lions, one in particular, pounces on him, and the guy begins to scream, help, help, help. The lion hovers over him and he said, shut up, you fool, or we'll both lose our jobs. <laughs> now, believe it or not, there's a little bit of theology in that story. You see, you and I are a lot like that guy in the gorilla suit. We put our faith in Jesus. We know him as Lord and Savior. We know who we are. We got the Christian lingo. We know when to say bless this and bless that. But suddenly trials and disappointments and discouragement and, and challenges come into our lives and all of a sudden we begin to yell, help, help. Because the truth of the matter is we forget who we are. We forget who is the real me. And when that happens, it, there's a tendency for us to begin to plunge into emotional distress. Plunge into, in fact, at times, Depression. Well, God wants us to see three things that he wants to help us discover this morning. To understand who is the real me. Uh, so many times we live a life as an imposter, trying to put things before people. And we know that that's not true. It's not really us. Well, God wants you and me to know exactly who we are in him. So if you have a pencil and you have your paper in front of you, we're going we're gonna to work our way through this. The first thing that I want you to write down in your outline is this. The first discovery that we want to, we want to make in this, this little study is God wants us to discover how to recognize a poor self-image. Let me say that again. How to recognize a poor self-image. In uh, Proverbs 23, verse 7, it says, For as a man thinketh, so is he. God wants you and me to, to be able to do a little detective work, to understand when we're, when we're gathering for ourselves a poor self-image, because it's going to affect four basic areas of our life, directly affect four basic areas of our life. Let me give them to you. First of all, it's going to affect your attitude about yourself, but it's also going to affect your attitude uh, in dealing with other people. If you have a poor self-image, if you have a poor uh, thoughts about yourself, it's going to have a direct impact on your attitude. It'll have a direct impact, secondly, on your behavior, how you behave. Are you a person that's worried about what other people think of you, and consequently, you find yourself withdrawing from other people because you're angry or whatever it is? It's going to affect how you behave in relationship to other people. It will affect your productivity in life. Now listen, God wants us to have healthy emotions, God wants us to have peace in life. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have trials, you will have tribulations, you will have troubles. 
but take heart, for I have overcome the world. God wants you to have peace despite discouragements and disappointments. And God wants you to be productive in all that. Jesus said, uh, I have, you did not choose me, but I chose you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So Jesus wants you and me to bear fruit in our lives, not to be emotionally distressed all the time. And thirdly, it's going to impact uh, the overall success of your life. Now, what I want to talk to you a little bit about in regard to poor self-image, there's some aspects of it that are very, very clear. You might recognize it in your own life, but if you don't recognize it in your own life, you might recognize it in the life of people around you, loved ones that might be going through depression. And it, it'll make sense when you hear it. But first and foremost, with a person that has a poor self-image, obviously they're going to be depressed. Now, in depression, if you, those of you who were with us last week, you remember that we talked about there are times in life that we have been insulted by others, we've been injured by others, we've had somebody hurt our feelings, and we've been rejected by others. But we also recognize that we have done that to other people. There's nobody that escapes all of these things. It's just the way life is as human beings in a broken world. We insult people, we, we are insulted by people, we reject people, and people reject us. And so if we're going to try to make it through life and hope that everybody likes us, it's just not going to happen. It's just not, just not real. So we have, to, we have to understand that. So that will lead you into depression. Secondly, it's going to create anger in your heart. There's not, a, there's not a person on the face of the earth that is depressed that is not angry. We're angry at ourselves. We're angry at people around us. Uh, we, we say to ourselves, I'm not worth anything. And, and we end up be, being angry at God. We say, God, this is the way you made me. This is the family you gave me. This is the environment. I'm, I'm rich or I'm poor. Whatever it is, it's your fault, God. So we have this, this smoldering anger on the inside. Thirdly, that leads to rebellion. Uh, we see that in young people and teenagers. They begin to feel like, well, I don't fit in in this family. I don't fit in the school. I don't fit in, the, in people around me. I can't make any friends. So the, forget the whole thing. I'm just going to rebel against my parents. I'm going to rebel against my teachers. I'm going to rebel against myself. I'm just going to go off and do my own thing. So, so rebellion will fall with a, with a poor self-image if you think lowly of yourself. With that comes withdrawal. Now, withdrawal is a person in depression that gets more and more sensitive about what people think about them, sensitive about what people say about them. It's the, the type of person that goes to a football game and they think that the guys in the huddle are talking about him. <laughs> it's just people that get more and more sensitive as to what other people's opinions are about them and in their life. People will, in, in, uh, in, with a low self-opinion will, will turn to material possessions, wanting to gain more things to make themselves feel better. Or what they'll do is what they have is they'll begin to try to buy friendships. If, if I can't make friends because of who I am, well, then I'll spend whatever money I have and try to get you to like me because I'll, I'll buy your friendship. If people with a, a poor self-image, they can't even handle it when people praise them. They'll, they'll say, if they're saying all these nice things about me, but if they only knew what I was really like, they wouldn't say those things at all. So it ends up, I'm damned if I do and damned if I don't. We begin to have an, a Xerox mentality. We're, we're not satisfied with ourselves, so we try to live out a life of somebody that we think that's got it all together. So I'll live like them. So that's what happens when we have a poor self-image. But ultimately, it, it hampers how God can use us in life. And, and that's ultimately what it's all about. God does not want us to be torn up on the inside day after day after day. 
He wants us to have healthy emotions. He wants us to have a proper self-image because he wants to love people, not only love us, he wants to love people through us, but we can't do that if we're torn up on the inside. Now, I want you to see four, if you look at your outline, you're going to see four main causes of self-rejection. And as you hear them, they probably will make sense to you if you're going through depression, or once again, you'll recognize it in the lives of others. First of all, comparing ourselves to others. That's a a primary thing that's going to bring self-rejection into your life. When you begin to compare yourself to others. Anybody, any football coach other than Coach Belichick will tell you that when you throw the ball downfield, the bad things, three things are going to happen, and two of those three things are going to be bad. It's either going to be intercepted or it's going to be blocked. Well, it's the same thing when you begin to compare yourself to other people. First of all, you're going to do one of two things. You're going to say, I am better than other people, or that person, which is pride that comes out of the pit of hell. Or I'm going to say, I am worse than other people, which is a false sense of pride, and that's out of the pit of hell as well. So when we compare ourselves to others, we're, it's, it's a huge mistake, and it's, and it's leading to self-rejection. It's the person that, that says, um, uh, I, I just can't do these things, so I, I'm no good. I, I can't, I'm, not, I'm not good like other people. Secondly, comparing ourselves to the Christian phantom. Now, this tears up God's church all over the world. So many of us as Christians, we're convinced that there's some perfect Christian out there someplace. And this perfect Christian prays 24 hours a day, is in church seven days a week, witnesses to every person that they ever meet, and and, uh, just does everything perfectly. It's just just not possible. There is no Christian. Jesus didn't do that. He said at the Garden of Gethsemane, if this cup can pass from me, Lord, not my will, but your will. And Jesus said to his disciples, we've got to take a rest. We've got to take a break from all these things. So come apart with me and rest. There's not this perfect Christian out there, and there's no, not one of us that can live up to some sort of phantom Christian perfection. And finally, the fourth, fourth one is giving into our feelings versus our responsibility. When we have a poor self-image, continuously we will give in to our feelings. We will continually say, I know I should do this. I know I should do that. I just don't feel like, I just can't do it. I just don't feel right today. And so we give in to our feelings rather than owning up to our responsibilities. So to to start with, God wants us to do a little inventory check, particularly when it comes to emotional distress, particularly when it comes to depression that we would discover how to recognize when we're teetering on having a poor self-image. Because here's the second thing that I want you to write down. The second discovery God wants to help us with is how we can discover how to develop a proper self-image. That's exactly what God wants you and me to have, is a healthy self-image. But the first question we're going to ask ourselves is, who do we listen to? Do we listen to the opinions of others? Do we listen to the opinions of those around us? Do we listen to ourselves? Who is it that we're going to listen to? Or do we listen to God's opinion? We are so worried about the opinion of people all around us, what they think of us. Somebody said, stop worrying about what people think of you because they're not thinking of you. They're thinking of themselves. And that's absolutely true. Uh, somebody once said that you're going to think about uh, what other people think of you, you're going to think about what, other, what uh, your opinion of yourself is, and you're going to think of what other people think of what you think you're thinking of yourself. It's just a waste of time. It just doesn't work. Secondly, we depend upon our success in life. 
If I've got a business and the economy is soaring and I'm doing well and I'm making a lot of money, well, I've got a great self-image. I've got a, a, what I think is a, a healthy self-image. If I've got a job and my job pays well and I'm doing well, well, I, I feel like I've got a very healthy self-image. But as the economy goes south, I lose my job, I get fired, or if I, uh, any number of things that happen, then all of a sudden that good self-image becomes a bad self-image. I begin to think I'm no good because these things have happened to me. But finally, we, we, <laughs> we get caught up in our own opinion, don't we? Does your opinion of yourself, does it ever change? Of course it changes. You might get up in the morning and think, hey, things are going great. Something suddenly comes into your life and all of a sudden you're thinking, I'm no good. And my self-image suddenly changes in a split second. Our opinion is constantly changing about ourselves. So once again, the things of the world, get this in your mind pretty please, the things of the world are constantly changing and you and I have got to plug into something that does not change. And what does not change, what is factual in this world is God and God's opinion of you and me. We've got to latch onto that and then we've got to build our lives upon it. So for the next few minutes, I'm going to give you a few things that come from the world, and we're going to compare it to what God says. A few things that you and I buy into that the world says about ourselves, or we say about ourselves, and we're going to compare it to what God says about us. So take your outline, if you would, look at the bottom of it, and the first thing that you're going to see on number two is appearance. So many of us say, I would be happy in life, but I can't stand the way I look. I'm too tall, or I'm too short, or I'm too heavy, or I'm too thin. Uh, I, I, I don't like the way I look. My, the hair color is wrong. Whatever it is, we have a million things that we can find fault about ourselves. But listen to what the, the psalmist says in Psalm 139. For you, God, created me in my inmost being. You, God, knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. God made you to be who you are. He made your looks to be what your looks are. And, he, and God is very pleased with the way you look. You might disagree with God, and if you disagree with God, you're calling basically God a liar, that he failed somewhere along the line when it came to you. But God made you exactly the way he wanted you to be. And God has you look exactly the way he wants you to look. If you turn your paper over, it comes to abilities. So many times we say, I can't do anything right. I'm a loser no matter what. I t everything that I touch falls apart. Well, listen, God is not interested in your abilities. What he's interested in is your availability. Listen to what Moses said to God and what God said to Moses. Uh, o Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? God said, I gave you the abilities, but I gave you the abilities for my purposes. I'm not interested in your abilities. What I want to do is accomplish things through your availability. I was saying the uh, first uh, morning that we got together for this study that this comes from a man named uh, Bob George. And uh, he tells a story of when uh, years ago he was applying to the Billy Graham Association. They had a crusade coming through his town and he wanted to vo volunteer for the uh, uh, Billy Graham Association. So he was being interviewed. Uh, at the same time he was being interviewed, uh, there's a man by the name of Kerm. He too was being interviewed in the same room. 
And he said, Kerm wasn't very uh, well educated. And he said, in his words, Kerm came from the, the backwoods of wherever they lived. And uh, he said, as, as Kerm was talking, Bob was saying, I was thinking in my mind, I wish this guy would just shut up. Because if he shut up, I could tell these guys from Billy Graham how valuable I am. And if they would let me volunteer, that I would be such a blessing to the crusade. Well, in the meantime, Kerm was saying things like this. You know, I'm not very smart. But I'm as smart as God has made me to be. You know, there's not a whole lot of things I can do. But I can do what God, whatever God empowers me to do. And Bob said when he heard those words, they cut him right to the heart and he began to weep because he knew what God was saying. And God was saying, you know, Bob, this guy Kerm has got more in his little finger of what I need than everything that you offer me. God is not interested in your abilities. What he's interested in, are you available to him? Will you humble yourself before God? And will you go allow God to use you to do great and masterful and wonderful things through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit? Parentage. How many times have we been told throughout our lives, I am who I am because of my parents. It's all their fault. My mother tied my sneakers too tight when I was a little kid, so that's the way I am. So we blame our parents for everything. We're told to blame our parents for everything. We're a mess because of them. Well, friends, your parents have no bearing upon you whatsoever. They did the very best they could with you. And if you're a parent, you're doing the very best you can with your child. There are no perfect parents out there. You had the parents that God designed and had for you. And you are the parent to your children that God expects you to be. So we can't blame our parents. Listen to what Psalm 16.6 says. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful, here's your word, inheritance. God gave you the inheritance he intended for you to have. Environment. We blame the environment around us. We say, I am the way. I would be so much better, but I grew up poor. I didn't have anything. But there'll be a person sitting beside you that says, you know, I'd be a whole lot better, but I grew up wealthy. I had everything. I mean, we've, we've witnessed over the past few months that foolish affluenza story where that crazy teenage kid doesn't know right from wrong because his mother was so filthy rich. How ridiculous! It's not our environment that we grew up in. Listen to what it says in Acts 17. From one man, Adam, he made every nation of men and people that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined, God determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God chose the family for you. God chose the environment that you grow up in. God wants you to flourish no matter what it is in the environment that you live in. So once again, to begin to develop a healthy self-image, we've got to learn what it is to see ourselves through God's eyes. Listen to what uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 3. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. All throughout the, the, the letters, Paul is being judged by other people, but he's saying, I can't help what people think of me. You can't help what people think of you, so just let it go. He says, I do not even judge myself. If you have the outline, you'll see right there that we had this last week, that little diagram. And what that means, on the left-hand side, it says world and Satan. You see, you and I, on a moment-by-moment, -moment, daily basis, we are being bombarded with the things of the world. The opinions of other people, the opinions of the media, opinion of ourselves. It comes into our minds. Our minds digest it. It affects our emotions. We get down. We get disappointed. We get discouraged. 
We want to give up. But God says, stop. I want to fill you with my word. I want to fill you with what's true. I want to tell you about what I think of you, and I want you to build your life on what I think of you. So the third thing that I want you to write down is we want to discover how God sees us. Because when we can grasp that, that changes everything. It changes our thinking. It changes our emotions. It changes how we live. It changes how we, uh, we deal with other people. Our behaviors, our attitudes changes everything. So we've got to pay attention to what God thinks of us. So what I want to do over the next few moments is I want to take you through some of the passage in Scripture of what God says about you. And it begins with God saying, I chose you. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, you did not choose me, but I chose you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Paul says in Ephesians 1, verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Do you understand that? Before he ever put a star in the sky, put the moon in place, the sun in place, God saw you, he knew you, and he chose you. And he chose you, why? So that you would be holy, set apart for him, and blameless in his sight. Why? Because you are a child of the living God. The moment that you trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you became a child of the living God. In John chapter 1, verse 11, it says, He came to his own, but his own would not receive him. But to as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. The moment that you trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you were translated out of darkness and you were brought into the kingdom of God and you became a child of God. You might not have felt it. It doesn't matter whether you feel it or not. This is what God is declaring and this is what's true. You became an heir of God's riches. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. You are a co-heir because God completely forgave you of your sins, past, present, and future. Paul says in Colossians 2, when you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God did something. He made you alive with Jesus in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code, rest the Ten Commandments with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Listen. 2,000 years ago when Jesus was on that cross, how many of your sins were on that cross? Here it says all of your sins. How many of your sins 2,000 years ago that were on the cross were, all, were in the future? All of your sins were in the future. And God said, I forgive them all. Jesus paid for all of them, one time, for all time, forever. And he said, as far as the east is from the west, so far I've, I've forgiven your sins and transgressions. And because of that, now you are reconciled to God in Romans 5.10. For if when we were God's enemies, before you knew Christ as Lord and Savior, you, you weren't a nice person, you were God's enemy. And it says, when we were God's enemy, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? The moment that you trusted in him, he gave you the fullness of his life so that you could be made righteous. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what does God ask of you and me? that we would have faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. You see, for faith to be faith, it has, it has to have an object. When I was growing up, a teenager, I would hear people say, hey, keep the faith. Well, faith in what? You know, I mean, what, what, what on earth does that mean? Faith has to have an object. You see, you can swallow something, and it'll make you healthy. But you can also swallow something, and it'll kill you. 
The same thing is the mechanism of swallowing in both situations. There's something you can swallow that's beneficial. You can swallow something that's not beneficial. Well, that's what faith is like. Faith is a muscle that we exercise. Faith has to have an object. You and I are called by God to put our faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. And when we do that, he begins to change us and transform us from the inside outside. Not according to somebody else's opinion, not according to your opinion, but God's opinion. We reign in life, for if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ? And you have been made perfect. Listen to this. Because by one sacrifice, Christ on the cross, he has made perfect. How long? Forever. Those who are being made holy. You've been made perfect. Till you sin? No. Forever. You've been made perfect in God's sight. I don't understand how it works, but it works in God's mind, and that's all we need to know. You know, you're made perfect. I can find fault, all kinds of fault with you, but in God's sight, you've been made perfect. And so it's something we need to celebrate. And we are holy and blameless. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So what does God call us to do? Well, he calls us to be dead to sin so that we can be alive in Christ. Stop believing the old stuff. Stop doing the old stuff. Start doing the right things. Faith in Christ. And allow God's opinion to work in you, begin to change you and transform you. Turn your paper over with me, if you would. Because what he wants to know is that we are sealed by Jesus, one time for all time. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, trusted in Jesus, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And that seal cannot be broken. It's God's seal. And with that, you may be made complete in Jesus. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. In other words, in Jesus was all of God the Father, all of God the Son, and all of God the Holy Spirit. All of God dwelt in Jesus. Listen to what he says next. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. The moment that you trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you got all of God. You can't get any more of God than you received the moment that you trusted. You got God the Father, you got God the Son, and you got God the Holy Spirit. And God declares that as far as he's concerned, you are complete in him. God is not going to add to you, and God is not going to subtract from you because you got all of Jesus. And he did this because he wants you to be confident. Confident not in yourself, but in God. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Listen, I don't know about you, but when when I need help, when my time of need, you know what that is? When I've messed up, when I've done dumb things, when I've failed in my life. But this tells me, despite my failures, I can boldly go to the throne of God because of Jesus Christ. And not only that, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. And listen to this, folks. God has done it all. Paul says in in, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, All this is from God. And if all this is from God, how much is it from you and me? A great big fat goose egg. Zero. You and I couldn't come up with a plan like this. In fact, the Bible says we weren't even looking for God. God came looking for you and me because he loved us so much. He put the plan together. He made the reconciliation possible in Jesus so that he could just plain and simply love you. 
We need mercy. We need grace. We fail in life time and time again. But we have a God who is merciful and cares for us, and he cares for every failure, and he's with us at every step of the way. So that you and I will live by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And listen to this. Listen, get this in your mind. You, whether you like it or not, this may be good news for some, bad news for others, but you can't be separated from God. If you believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are united with him forever and ever. Amen. When your heart stops beating and they throw dirt in your face, you're immediately going to be with Jesus in heaven, whether you like it or not. I mean, this is good news. That's what he says next. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus. Now let me teach you a little theological lesson. The Bible speaks of judgment, and the Bible speaks of condemnation. When the Bible speaks of judgment, it's a judge sorting things out. Someday God's going to sort things out. But someday there's going to be a great white throne of judgment in Revelation chapter 20, and Jesus is going to sit on that, And on that great white throne of judgment, it says that all the names that are written in the book of life will will transition into heaven with him forever. But all the names that are not written in that book of life will be condemned. And condemned means they will be damned forever. And the Bible says that they will be cast into the lake of fire with the devil and all of his angels, created for the devil and his angels. Now listen, there's only one person in all of the universe that can condemn you. And that is Jesus. There's only one person that can damn you, and that is Jesus. But if you believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, if your name is written in the book of life, listen to what it says. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died. He died for you. More than that, who was raised to life. He was resurrected for you. Is at the right hand of God. And what is he doing? He is interceding for you. So the one that can damn you is sitting at God's right hand, and he's saying, Father... Don't hold that against them. Look at my blood. I died for that mistake they made. I died for that sin. I shed my blood for that person. I love that person. So the only person that can condemn you is saying, I'm interceding for you. I love you. I care for you. I am your Lord. I am your Savior. Forget about the old junk. Believe me. Take me at my word. And then listen to the rest of this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or depression or disappointment or discouragement, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? If you know the rest of the verse, it says nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from God, and that includes you if you believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. So what does God want us to do? He wants us to learn what is his opinion, not my opinion about myself, not your opinion about me, What is God's opinion about me? That's what I need to hang on to. And that's why Paul says in Philippians 3.13, Brothers, sisters, I do not consider myself yet to take in the hold of it. Here's the great apostle Paul. They were about to separate his head from his shoulders. It was at the end of his life. He had this amazing ministry. And what is he saying? You know what? I don't have it all together. Now, you might not have it all together. Maybe you do have it all together, but the rest of us don't have it all together. Get, Get a clue. That's what he was saying. I don't have it all together, but here's what I do know. Here's what I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Paul says, you know what? I made a lot of mistakes in my life. I fell down a lot. I did a lot of dumb things in my life, but I'm going to forget them because God has forgiven me. And and what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to focus my mind, my heart, my life, everything about me. I'm going to put it in Jesus' hands, and I'm going to press forward. 
And that's what God is saying to you. If you're depressed today, you've got a poor self-image. You're believing things about yourself that you think. You're believing things about yourself that you think other thing, people think about you. You're, you're believing things about the mistakes that you made in your life. What is God telling you? Let it go. Forget about it. Start walking in his grace. Start believing in his mercy. Start embracing the love that he has for you. Let him begin to change your emotions. Let him begin to change your life. Let him begin to change everything about you and start it today. In the uh, tropical areas of the world, there are countries where the local people uh, capture monkeys. And they have an interesting way that they do it. They don't set out traps. They don't set out all these crazy things to catch monkeys. What they do is they take these, these jars, and the jars will have a, a, an open mouth to it like that, but from the open mouth, it'll narrow down for a neck, and then it'll open out again for the base of the, of the jar. So all they do before they go to bed at night is they gather up some sweet beans, and they put those sweet beans inside of the jar. Now, the, the monkeys come along in the middle of the night, they smell the sweet beans, they reach their hand down, and they grab a fistful, but the problem is they can't get their, they can't get their wrist, their hand back through because they've, they've got a fistful of, of beans. So they spend, they spend all night shaking that stupid jar because they won't let go of those sweet beans. So when the, the natives wake up in the morning, they just come and take the monkeys away. Now, fellow monkeys... What is it in our lives that we are hanging on to and we're shaking about that if we would just let it go, believe God has forgiven us, it's over with in his eyes, and begin to embrace what he has, pull our hands out from that mess and just begin to walk with him on a daily basis. Enjoy the love and grace that he has for you and me despite the disappointments, despite the discouragements of life and just trust in him. You know what will happen? You know what will happen if you start doing that? You'll start to discover the real you. Let's pray. God, we love you. We praise you and thank you. Because the, the truth of the matter is, Lord, we're screwed up in so many ways. All of us. We're a mess. But you are the God who just delights in straightening us out. Help us, God as your people, to let go of the crazy things of life. Stop dwelling on them. Stop thinking about them. And start thinking about you and your love and mercy and grace. Start opening up the word of God and believing what it says to us. And change us, God. We want to be changed. Now listen, there might be people in here this morning that have never just done that simple, crazy, simple thing of receiving Christ as Lord and Savior. Nothing's going to happen in your life until you do that. Nothing's going to happen in your life until you repent of your sin and, and you turn and believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. So I want to give you that opportunity, if I could, right now, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Give you an opportunity to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, to turn from your sinful life, ask God to forgive you, and then just let him love you. As simple as that. Oh, my word about as hard as falling off a log. And here's what you do. I'm going to tell you what to say. You repeat it in the quietness of your mind. You can say it out loud if you want to. It doesn't matter. God knows what you're thinking. And say this. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess I've sinned against you. Just say that. I'll say it with you. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess I've sinned against you. 
Just get, just get honest with God for Pete's sakes. And then say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Then say, I ask you here and now. I ask you here and now. Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my heart right now, God. Right now, my heart is open. I'm ready for you. Please just come flooding in. And be my Lord and Savior. Be my Lord and Savior. Simple as that. And then say, Lord, I want to live my life for you. I want to live my life for you. I'm tired of all the mess that I've been making in my life. I want it behind me. I want to start new. I want to start with you, God. So I want to live my life for you. And th then do something real simple. Just say thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God. I thank you, God, for anybody right now that has received you as Lord and Savior. They don't need me to tell them that something powerful and wonderful has happened. They be you declare that they become a brand new person in Christ. And God, I just pray you would fill them with your love. Man, they need that love, God. Fill them up to the brim so that they know it's you. And for the rest of us, Lord, we, we fall short. Help us, God, to humble ourselves and just hang on to Jesus. Love Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Father, you are amazing, wonderful and amazing. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Now listen.